Today is our, our last Sunday, and the very first Sunday, I said, and I still believe, and maybe I have a couple of uh, new converts through the course of these last couple weeks, but that I think that First Peter is the most relevant book for people trying to follow Jesus out in the world today. And, uh, and having gone through it, I still believe it. I think it is a book that is worthy to, to go and chew on even beyond this series because I think it speaks to the challenges and the gifts of being called by God to a new way of life without abandoning the world. So in some sense, living faith even in the midst of a world that might not completely value the same things. And in an ideal world, the last Sunday then would be this like great rah-rah sermon full of like inspiring stories and stuff like that. And if I could have in any way manipulated scripture to do that, I would have. Uh, but the whole last chapter ends talking about humility. That's all it is, it's humi- which... I've mentioned humility before in a sermon. I don't think I've ever preached on it. And that's because it's very difficult to come up with, like, exciting stories about humility. You know what I mean? Like, I could be like, we should be humble like Mother Teresa so we can win the Nobel Peace Prize and be net. That's not totally the point. It's not really it. And so we're going to do our best. But I do, as I've dug into this, I do think that Peter... uh, knew something that maybe I did not know going in. Uh, And so while we might not leave here completely inspired, I do think we might leave here with the voice of God saying, inviting us to plant uh, our lives in a new way, which will indeed spring life. Uh, So that's the hope as we open up 1 Peter to chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. In going through 11. Listen for God's word for each of us this morning. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you 
and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, today we pray that you might speak a word that puts on flesh for how the last indeed could be first. That we do not in some ways desire to be first, but we truly believe that through a vision of your life, we might see that it is good and right to humbly serve and love one another. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I stumbled upon an article about global leadership in The Economist because I'm thinking strongly about taking this church global. And, uh, and so I want to get proper, uh, you know, I want to do my due diligence. Uh, you don't just start a video ministry without reading some economists about global leadership. And, and so that's what I did. And, and this, one, this one quote struck me. Uh, it said this. It said, if leadership has a secret sauce, it, 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 may, it may well be humility. A humble boss understands that there are things he doesn't know. He listens. Not only to the big wigs in Davos, which I assume is Davos, Switzerland, but also to the kind of people who don't get invited to Davos, such as his customers. And I read that, and I thought, yeah, that's the kind of humility I can get behind. It's similar to what I've always thought humility was. You know, it's not, not bragging about my own achievements which isn't that hard for me, honestly. I'm, I'm on board with that. You know, it's not boasting about my successes, which again, I find comes quite naturally <laughs> to me. It's not believing that I am better than anyone else or that I know more than anyone else. And, and I like this version of humility from the article and how it frames it, because uh, it frames humility as a quality that is useful to me. It makes me a better boss, and it's useful to me without demanding much sacrifice. It doesn't require me to give up my goals or desires. Instead, it's a helpful way for me to obtain them. A good example of this kind of humility is me, five seconds ago, talking about how I haven't accomplished anything. Right? I can say that, and it makes me look humble. Makes me, makes me hopefully, in some ways engage you better in it. If I have accomplished something, it doesn't take it away. It just gets you to maybe like me a little bit more. But it makes me wonder, is this what it means to be a humble person? Not to be perceived as humble by other people, but, but is this the kind of humility that First Peter ends his letter calling us to be about? Because I read our text this morning, and the humility spoken about there, it doesn't really seem like a life hack. In fact, the biblical humility, it comes with a warning label. Peter writes, if you are going to be humble, you better be sober and alert too. Because the enemies will be like roaring lions, ready to devour you. 
That's quite the contrast from our boys in Davos, Switzerland. You know, one version of humility promises to, to rid our lives of conflict and enemy to enemies to, to be able to get along with people above us and below us. And another says, it's by being humble that you're going to rile people up. One understanding of humility, it seems to make sense only if you have reasons to not be humble. Like if you are wealthy or powerful or successful. And the other is described as the most basic quality every person puts on if they're to follow Jesus. Whether you're new to the faith or old, young, or old in age, humility is what you wear. And yet, despite these obvious distinctions, if you asked me a week ago, what's the difference then between worldly humility, that definition we just read, and and what the Bible is talking about, I don't think I could have offered two distinct things. I would have just said, I guess they just have two different outcomes, and the Christian one's less fun. Uh, But that's what we're going to try to figure out today. That's what we're going to try to get into, is to say, what actually is this biblical humility that Peter speaks to? And we're going to do it through three ways. And I have three points, and, and I'll just let you know what they are up front. The first one is that I think Christian humility begins with boldness. And that humility, real humility, is always the fruit of covenant life. And the last one is that I think the world is starving for humble people. So let's get into that first one. Christian humility begins with boldness. Uh, right in line with our quote from The Economist that we just read, the predominant understanding of humility, I think, is, is, to, kinda, is to know what we don't know. You know. To not have a big head. But as I was thinking about it this week, I think that kind of leaves Christians in a, in a weird spot. Because the whole crux of following Jesus is that we know something. That we have, some truth has been revealed to us. And therefore, if we attempt to be humble by the world's standards, we're stuck trying to keep both our faith in check and not be too bold about that, and and our sin in check. Where... If we're taking uh, 1 Peter passage seriously today, we feel like, well, we can't be all about money and power. He says you, you, you can't be about that. But we also aren't allowed to boldly proclaim why we're not about money and power. And what that produces is just a bunch of anxiety and, and lukewarm life and, and wondering where like the excitement of faith is because we're feeling like we've got to tamp down all aspects of our life, the bad part and the good part. But as Stanley Hauerwas writes, Christian humility, it derives not from the presumption that, that no one knows the truth, but rather is a virtue dependent on our confidence that God's Word is truthful and good. This is the great difference between the world's humility and Christian humility. Christian humility isn't some 
disguise we put on because we assume it will make us more well-liked. It isn't some politician talking about how they're humbled to accept the nomination from their party. No. Christian humility is bold. It's bold. In our text, Peter doesn't ask Christians to be humble so they remember they don't have it figured out. But instead, precisely because Christians have had the truth revealed to them. Peter is calling them to begin where they know that truth is, in God. Knowing that grounded in the Lord, our lives will produce humility, and that humility will lead us to participate in Christ's glory. It's rather amazing, honestly, as I was going through different passages in in Scripture, in almost all the Bible, calls to be humble they are almost always coupled with the bold assurances about God. In Philippians 2, uh, a section that the NIV literally uh, titles at the front of the passage, imitating Christ's humility, it ends by proclaiming this, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The title of that passage is imitating Christ's humility. Pretty bold. To be faithfully humble, though, It begins by boldly being defined by the story of God. And just for a second, I want you to try to imagine that. Maybe it it is just me, but I am often ashamed by the gospel. Not because I am ashamed of the gospel, but I think that it is right to tamper it down. I think it's right to tamper it down. I'm afraid of offending somebody. But can you imagine what kind of humble courage it would produce if we began in the bold promises of God? How all sorts of spiritual disciplines would stop being duties and they'd actually be desires? If we believe that God has chosen us, made us a holy people, and we said, this is where I'm going to stake my life, all of a sudden, I have a feeling we would want to be people of prayer. We would be people who would, who would desire to confess and to repent, to ask for forgiveness and forgive. Beginning this way, in the, in the face of injustice, we wouldn't feel the need to save the world, have these grandiose ideas of who we need to be. But we wouldn't for a second duck from the small acts of love that we can easily offer when we do see injustice. We'd be humble because our lives take seriously the bold promises of God. Well, how do we do this? It leads me to number two, and I think humility is the fruit of covenant life. But what I really wanted to title this section is uh, 
you gotta commit to the compost pile if you want the hummus. But Amelia told me no one would make, that wouldn't make sense to anyone. But that's what I want it to be. But that's right. Despite that being our, not being our title, we are about to talk about composting. I think it's a long overdue uh, thing that has, needs to be spoken of from the pulpit, and, and I'm glad to do it. Uh, I started composting a few years ago when my little food scrap bucket arrived from Amazon. My uh, wife, Amelia, said something to the effect of, just when I thought you couldn't get any weirder. But look how excited I was. <laughs> so I put my food scraps and then I take it out to my little compost pile. So excited. It was like, that was like the highlight of my month. <laughs> now, if you yourself are not a composter, the process is simple. It goes something like this. You take things you would have normally thrown away, like food scraps and yard debris, and you pile it all on top of itself in some kind of contained space. And then, over time, that pile of garbage, it turns into dirt filled with more nutrients than any fertilizer that you could buy at Home Depot. I still remember the first time I checked the bottom of my pile. Months, months of piling up banana peels and grass clippings, coffee grinds. Amelia yelling at me to please take the food scraps out to the compost pile. I opened the bottom of the thing up and it had been transformed. All that stuff was gone. It had been transformed into this deep, dark, good soil. It felt like a miracle. I was like, this is an Ebenezer right here. This is something I'm going to remember and know that God is real. Anyway, you know what they call this soil? I already told you, but it's highly organic final product of the compost pile. Hummus. Hummus. It's unrelated to chickpeas. But very related, very helpful, I think, in thinking about humility. Because as you might have guessed, humility and hummus, they, they come from the same root word. They share some of the same meaning. In fact, one definition of humility is to be close to the ground, to be in touch with the soil. And maybe it's just me and my weird love of composting, but when I made that connection and then went back and read 1 Peter chapter 5, and I read, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, even your waste, even your trash, I'm adding that part, onto Him. Do it because He cares about you. I read that and I couldn't help but say, man, that sounds pretty dang similar to composting. Believing the promises of God, we don't live in the future or feel the need to prove ourselves in the past or, or, litig or the, prove ourselves in the present or litigate the past. Instead, we ask, where am I being called to invest my life? And then we pile it up. We commit to that place, believing that the Lord will make it good. 
And that is an act of humility because we are people who want to keep our options open. We don't want to self-limit. It's never that exciting to do. But I think through this lens, humility, it ceases to be about modesty. And it starts to seem related to a vibrant faith. It's about being deeply committed to a God who is at work making broken people good. And I know this probably just sounds like the preacher spent too much time in Webster's Dictionary looking for an analogy, uh, but in thinking about it, I have been reminded that the very backbone of the Bible centers around people coming to see God as the giver of good soil. Adam is made from the good earth and then God places him in the fertile Garden of Eden. The story of Israel centers around the promised land which flows with milk and honey. And finally, through the work of Jesus, what is proclaimed is a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will be at home. And so we ask, what's Christian humility? What does it mean to be close to the soil of faith? It's believing that in specific places, with specific people, God is bringing about good things. And if we are willing to give our lives over to it, it will make us humble, loving people. To be humble is to choose the con to be contained in the story of God. It's to trust that God's promises are specific and concrete for you, for your day. And therefore, to choose the self-limiting path of covenant life with God and one another. We just have to remember, like composting, that sanctification, it doesn't happen in the abstract. We can't just hope for it. It only flourishes with intention. You put food scraps in the garbage, you know what it becomes? Garbage. It smells like garbage. But throw them in with some parameters. Have commitment and patience. And it produces something good. Where is your compost pile? Where are you committed? Not out of obligation or duty, but because you believe God is at work in your life. I think it'll produce good things. And if you do have that place, where are you spreading your hummus? Because you don't just leave it in the compost pile, you go and you spread it on other plants so that they can grow better. And that leads us to our last point. It's a point that I believe is fundamentally true. It might even be fundamentally true for many of us in this room, and that is that the world is starving for humble people. As I mentioned, I think humility is a hard topic to get fired up about. It feels abstract. I don't really think we can produce it, and so it can make us feel a little defeated or to wonder where to go. But I was recently reading through a Barnes research study about young adults 
15,000 people interviewed. And obviously lots of interesting insights, but there were these three things that felt especially relevant to our scripture this morning. And here's what they said. These are just three stats. Said that 77% of people said that they deeply care about the world around them. That's impressive and good. But then it said that only 33% of people feel deeply cared about by those around them. And only 32%—32% of 15,000 young people feel somebody believes in them. I couple that with this Barnes or with this uh, Pew study I saw that over the last decade, I think it was. Uh, 11%. There's been a drop in people who identify as Christians 11% in the last decade. Not because they don't have needs. 33% don't feel cared for. 32% have no one they think believes in them. Only 32% feel that way. And it and I know those are just numbers, but they so clearly reveal a world that is overwhelmed, sees all the problems of the world, cares about the problems, overwhelmed by them, but just lonely. And it makes me think, these people don't need another audacious spectacle. They need some people who are willing to commit to them with a humble faith. I mean, let me ask you, and we're closing up here, but... Can you think of someone off the top of your head who has had a large impact on your faith walk? Does a name come to mind? Did they impact you because they were impressive? I'm not saying they weren't impressive, but is that what shaped you? Was it just that you were swept off your feet by their charisma and dramatic flair? Or were they impactful because they were committed to you? Because they believed in you and showed it by giving their time to be with you in intentional ways. Because believing the bold story of God, they took the humble practices of faith seriously and that way of life was exciting to you. It drew you in. You said something is different about this person. We still need people like that for us, of course, but friends, that's the kind of person that we are invited to be for one another. And so I ask again, who are you investing your hummus in? For it does no good to be fertile soil if we don't fertilize anything. Our purpose is to be humbly used no matter who we are. And in doing so, in the words of 1 Peter, and I have found this to be true in my own life, and I can only give glory to God for it. But you find a place to invest and commit. You will be restored, made strong, firm, and steadfast. For our God takes our lives and continuously makes them good. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we cannot go out and simply choose to be humble. That will always come from a place of pride. We will always seek results. And yet if we could turn to you to hear how your promises of God, things we have heard many times before, might be true for us today. And we might begin there and ask the question, if I was to take this seriously, what would my life look like? If we could ask the question, what does it mean to commit somewhere and to pour our lives into you and the people around us? God, I believe we, you would make us humble people. I believe what the world needs are people of faith, not people of drama and flair, for you are telling a story whether we want to join or not. And so in some small way, I pray we might humbly give up our own version and believe in yours, knowing that it is good. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.